So today is Senior Sunday, and so in, in one aspect I'm talking to seniors, but in another aspect I'm talking to everyone, okay? And so we're going to talk about this whole idea of transitions, and the reality is there's, there's a lot of transitions in life, so there's a lot, I think, for us to learn today. So that being said, I've heard this quote, I obviously didn't make it up, but I think my experience is true, it, this statement is true, and I think it's going to be true for you as well. Here it is. It is the only constant in life is change. The only constant in life is change. So think about it. Uh, a baby becomes a toddler, and then a toddler, you know, starts going to school, which parents, how many of you cried when your child went to school? Your child was fine, but then they, you know, but see, that's a hard transition. And then before you know it, you look up and you got kids in junior high. And then we know that high school is different than junior high, and we know college is different than high school. And we know being single with a career is different than being in college, and we know being married is being different than single. And then you have kids, and that changes everything in a very good way. And then you have the second kid, and what happens? You, in my experience, I was like, a second kid, we've got this. We've already got one. Like, like we, we got, and the second kid comes, and everything, is, you know, every routine you had, you have to rethink everything, Right? And then, like, before long, you're an empty nester, and then you're a grandparent, and then you're in retirement, and that's different than working. Like, the, the only constant in life is change. In fact, that seems to be what life is, right? You're moving from different seasons, different stages of life along the way. And if your life stops changing, something really bad may have actually happened, right? Because the only constant in life is change. This idea of transitions and seasons and stages is true of the Bible as well. Like, think about a broad overview of the Bible and follow the story with me. You start with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then the story flows through Noah and the flood, and then the story flows through Abraham, and then through Abraham you have the 12 tribes of Israel that, that make up the nation of Israel. Then you have the Exodus with Moses, and then through Moses, God gives the Old Testament law and teaches his people how to approach him and worship him. And then you have the, the season of judges, and then the season of kings like David and Solomon, and throughout the course of history, God's people rebelled and then come back, rebelled and come back, and they have this kind of tension with God until eventually they're taken into captivity in Babylon, and they're still in captivity when Jesus comes on the scene, the Romans rule. Jesus literally turns this whole idea of our faith on its head, shows how he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and then he dies on the cross for our sins, effectively making a, a new way for us to approach God, and then he rises the third day, then he institutes the church, which is what we are still uh, benefiting from in this moment, and then one day he is going to return again, which means this. The story of the world, the story of the Bible, the story of your life is one of change, of transition, like things shift, right? Like this is normal, which leads me to believe this. The way we view transitions or, or moving from to different stages in life, our posture can't be to avoid them because it's impossible. It's, it's happening no matter, you, no matter if you want them to or not. You're going to change. So the posture is not how do I avoid this. Rather, the posture is how do I faithfully step into what is next for me, right? That's the question. How should we faithfully handle the transitions of life? This doesn't matter what age you are or what stage you're in, whether you're in high school right now or not. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, how do we, as God's people, faithfully handle whatever transition of life we are going through, or that is next for us, which is what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to give you three principles that if you apply them, if you embody them, I think they help set you up for success through whatever transition of life. So uh, hopefully for the seniors, it's helpful, but honestly, for every person in the room, if you embody these three principles, 
It's going to help you as you navigate life. So they're broad, they're simple, but just because they're simple doesn't mean they're not true or profound. Some of the most profound things in the world are the simplest things, all right? So if you're ready, here we go. The first one is be teachable, all right? So how do we successfully navigate these transitions? Well, for one, you need to be teachable because by definition, when you transition to a new area of life, you're going into new territory, right? You're going into places you've never been before, and so you don't know all that you need to know. You might know some, you might know a little bit, you might have some assumptions, but you don't know because you've never been there before. Now, again, seniors are stepping into adulthood, right? It's this pivotal transition in your life, right? It's, I would argue of all the transitions, um, this is one of the most significant because you're kind of stepping out from your parents' uh, wing and you're stepping into adulthood for the first time. I graduated um, from Snyder, didn't know what I wanted to do, went off to Bible college, and my thought was, I'm just going to spend a year there, learn about God, try to grow in my faith, and then figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. And, and for those of you who've moved out from your parents' house, it's, it's pretty exciting at first, right? It's fun, kind of feels like you're spending the night at a friend's house, or like you're on vacation, right? It's exciting. And then, like, there's that moment for me, maybe for you, where, like, reality hits, and you're like, my parents aren't here. Like, I've got I've to take some responsibility for my life. Like, like, I am alone, right? Like, it hits you, and then a little bit later, you get to that point where you realize that being an adult is way harder than you ever gave adults credit for, right? Which, kids, right now, you should look at your parents and say, thanks, because being adult is hard, and one day it's going to hit you with bills and responsibility and, like, having to handle your own stuff. Like, adulting is hard. And I would just argue this transition from high school to whatever's next, no matter what it is, is one of the most pivotal transitions you can make. But it's not just seniors, right? Like, we have people right now with the graduation of, of 2020, they're becoming empty, ne- empty nesters, right? We have people who are having kids, so they're adding either a first kid or another kid to their home. We have people stepping into retirement. We have people becoming grandparents. There's people all across this room right now who are potentially entering new transitions, new seasons of life, and you're going into territory you've never been before, which means you need to be teachable. Listen to, what, listen to what Proverbs says. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The whole idea of pride is really, it's, the, it's an attitude of, of not being teachable, right? It's the assumption that you know. It's the assumption that you've got this handled. It, it's this total confidence in yourself, even though in our situation, you're going into new territory you've never been before, right? And so a teachable spirit makes you humble and helps you learn, whereas pride is really against that. So here, here's real quick. If you want to be teachable, think about these three words. Think about listen, think, ask, right? You want to listen to those who are uh, around you and ahead of you, and you want to think before you speak. Uh, the passage in James that I love that I always butcher quoting is be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, right? Like, there's tons of wisdom in that right there. For all of us in this room, we've gotten in a lot of trouble because we've spoken way too fast and not controlled our tongue. And so listen, if you want to be teachable, listen, right? Actually listen, think before you speak, and then learn to ask good questions. I've learned that asking questions is an art. The people who ask the best questions 
put themselves in a position to learn way more than anybody else, right? Learn to ask good questions, and then it's a cycle, right? You ask a good question, then you listen, and you keep your mouth shut, and then you listen. One thing I've learned is this. I've learned a lot from my failures. I've learned a lot from my mistakes. But let me tell you a secret, especially if you're a student or a kid in this room. You don't have to make all the same mistakes as everybody else to learn from them. You can look at somebody else, you can see the decisions they've made, and you can learn from them without having to go through that mistake yourself. And I'm just say, telling you, that can save you a lot of heartache if you can learn from other people. Listen, think, ask, right? Be teachable, and that puts you in a position where you can humbly navigate the transition that you are in. Which brings us to number two, similar but different. All right, it's be flexible. So be teachable because you're going to new territory, but be flexible because unexpected things will happen. Um, think about the story of Moses and Joshua in the Old Testament. Like Moses is a significant figure. Like he did crazy things in the Old Testament, and one of like the last forty years of his life, he's leading God's people in the uh, wandering in the wilderness for forty years. Moses, uh, Joshua is Moses' assistant. Joshua sees all this. Moses dies. Joshua steps into leadership. Joshua does not have the same job description as Moses. Joshua's job is to literally lead God's people to the promised land, to literally go into new territory and do what God had called him to do. And listen, you read the book of Joshua, almost every chapter something unexpected happens. Like, it's crazy. There's miracles. There's all kinds of craziness that happens. You can take any transition in the Bible, like Elijah to Elisha, Saul to David, Jesus to the disciples, Paul to Timothy. Any transition in the Bible, all these series of unexpected things happen because that's how life works. Um, I was married at the age of 20, okay? The ripe old age of mature 20. All right, I got married, and, and this was our kind of five-year plan. We both had a year of school left. She was going to graduate. She was going to work in a school being an elementary teacher. I was going to work in the church. We were going to enjoy married life. And then five or six years later, when we were in our mid-20s, we would begin to think about having kids, right? Our five-year plan. Married in May of 2005. July of 2005. For those of you doing math, that's less than two months, right? So that's how far I got into my five-year plan. In July of 05, Callie comes in. She goes, Josh, I'm pregnant. I'm like, how could you let this happen, right? Just kidding. I, didn't, I don't remember what I said. I think I was in shock, and like, I didn't know what to do. But like, like, so we believe God's in control, right? Absolutely. And, and we're so thankful for that, but it was completely unexpected. It wasn't our five-year plan. It, 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 like God did it. It was completely unexpected. Um, I put this image on our youth Instagram a couple weeks ago, and I think it just helps illustrate this whole idea really well. It's this. You got your plan up here, but then you got life, right? <laughs> so you have plans, you have assumptions, you have goals, you see where you want to end up, and man, you're pursuing that. All the while, God's plan in life is going to happen. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be stuff you didn't expect. At some point, there's water, okay? Like, who knows? Like, who knows what's going to happen? But, but we all have these plans and assumptions, but real life looks much more like this than it does like this, right? I think anybody can walk up here and you can give your own set uh, of unexpected things that's happened in your life. Because, and this is what life looks like. But here's the potential problem. If we're not flexible, this right here can cause a lot of problems for us, 
okay? If we're not flexible, we're going to hold really tight to our expectations, to our assumptions, to our own plan, to what we think our life should look like. We're going to hold really tight to this, and then when this happens, when we're holding so tight and not being flexible, it is going to potentially devastate you, right? It's going to put you in this position where maybe mentally, emotionally, spiritually, something, it's going to potentially crush you because you're not flexible and you're holding so tight to what you thought was right all the while life is happening because unexpected things happen for all of us. I think, I think this is where we've got to talk about like how vital it is for God's people to be rooted in God's word. You've got to be rooted in God's word. Like, this is going to happen. I don't know what your specifics are, but this is what's going to happen. And if you're rooted in God's word, man, it helps keep your eyes focused on the Lord. It helps you stay rooted in what's true. It helps you uh, stay focused in the good and the bad. It helps you not get rocked too far to one side so that you can stay the course that God has asked you to walk, right? And so, like, if we really want to walk by the Spirit and fulfill all that God's called us to do, we have to understand life looks more like this than like this, but if we're not actively pursuing the Lord, then we're not going to be as flexible as we should be to get the most out of all these seasons and all these changes that we are going to go through. We've got to be flexible because unexpected things will happen. And that brings us to number three, which I think is the most important, and that's be grateful. My experience is this. The more grateful you are, the more healthy you tend to be. And that doesn't mean if you're grateful you don't get the flu. What I mean is the people who are the most grateful tend to be the most emotionally and mentally and spiritually stable, and they tend to be the most life-giving people that you know. And I say that because the reverse is also true. The people who are the most frustrating, the most maybe negative, the most draining, like those people in your life, very rarely are they characterized by being grateful people. They're usually characterized by being negative people, and because they're negative, they, they kind of suck the life out of you, right? And so here's what I think. Not only is this the most important of the three principles, but I think this also has the potential to really take us deep into our faith. So think about just kind of the basics of what we believe, okay? We believe um, in Jesus, right? But before we really understand how good Jesus is, we have to realize how bad the problem is. And so the Bible, the way it talks about sin, is way worse than we tend to view our sin. The Bible says that our sin's so bad that Jesus has to die for it. So, so number one, that's really bad. But number two, the Bible's like, your sin is so bad, it literally is separating you from the God of the universe. It's separating you from your creator. And not only that, but the consequences of your sin are this, is this eternal separation from God, which is really the definition of hell, right? It is this separation from God forever. And so if sin really is that bad, that's when the gospel, that's when Jesus becomes really good news because it means not only does God know your sinfulness, but you're so loved that he still willingly goes to the cross to pay for that sin so that you can be reconciled, so that that separation can be mended, you can be back in relationship with the Father, right? Which means this, if we're so sinful over here, the way the Bible talks about it, but then we're so loved and so forgiven and we've received so much grace that we never deserved, if that's true, how can we know that and not be grateful people? We've received cosmic and eternal forgiveness, and we didn't deserve it. How could we not be grateful for that, right? Uh, there's this story in Luke 7. 
And the story is, uh, Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house. He's a religious leader. They're there having dinner, talking. But in the midst of their evening, this woman comes in, and she's a tarnished woman. So we've got little ears, right? We understand what tarnished woman means. Um, Everybody in the town knew who she was. They knew what she did. They knew about this woman. She comes into this this home, this scene, and she goes to Jesus' feet, and she begins to weep. And her tears fall on Jesus' feet, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee is watching Jesus. He's watching this tarnished woman. And the Pharisee thinks, he's like, if Jesus is who he says he is, then not only would he not, um, this one wouldn't be near him, much less touching and rubbing his feet with her hair. Like, if Jesus is who he says he is, he would know what kind of woman this is, and he would have nothing to do with her. And Jesus is perceiving the, the Pharisee's thoughts, and he said, hey, let me tell you this story, okay? And so he said, there's a man, he's a lender, and he had two debtors. One guy owed him 500 denarii, one guy owed him 50 denarii. And so to put that in real life, it's like, uh, I uh, uh, lend some people money. This, this is hypothetical, this will never happen. But, you know, one guy owes me $350,000, <laughs> and then one guy owes me $3,500. Both unrealistic as a youth pastor, right? But you get the point, like, they're massively different debts, but they're both big debts, right? But, I mean, 350000 like, it's, it's a massive amount of debt. So these two debtors owe the lender and they can't pay him. Neither one can pay, not the 3500 or the 350000 And the lender just goes, hey, you're both forgiven. Don't, like, you don't have to pay me back. And so Jesus tells that story. Then he looks at the Pharisee and says, so which debtor is going to love the lender more? And the Pharisee says, well, I guess the one who was forgiven the bigger debt. And Jesus goes, you're right. And then he turns that story into real life. And he shows how this woman, everybody knows her sins. She knows her sins. She knows that she's not lived a righteous life. But he's like, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And as a result, she has loved. And she's pouring out this massive amount of thanks because she knows how much she's been forgiven. Listen to the way he says it. This is Luke 7 and verse 47. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see the correlation? The more you realize how much you've been forgiven, the more it's going to lead you to, to live a life of love and thankfulness. If you've only been forgiven a little, you're only going to love a little. There's a correlation there, which means we have to ask ourselves a question. And I think in America, what we tend to do at this moment is like, okay, am I, have I been forgiven of a bunch, or have I been forgiven of a little? Right? Like, like who am I in this story? And I think... If we really step back again and talk about our faith and we talk about our and we think about our sin the way the Bible talks about our sin, we come to this conclusion, and this is the point of Jesus' story. We're all the tarnished woman. Like if we're sinners the way the Bible talks about it, we are all guilty. Like, sure, you can look at somebody else and they and you might not do as bad a stuff as they do, but like if we really take the Bible for what it says, we're all the tarnished woman. We all owe a debt of sin that we could never repay. Like, we are all the tarnished woman. And to the extent that we realize how much we've been forgiven, to that extent we're going to live a life of love and thankfulness as a result of all the undeserved love and grace that we have received. A few years ago, um, the Holy Spirit just kind of convicted me that I was really struggling with negativity, which means, like, my default, like, what came natural to me was to complain or to see the bad in things or to It just took me no effort to complain, right? Which is kind of embarrassing, but it's true. Like the Holy Spirit, and man, it's like that's my default, so I can easily fall back into that a lot. 
But here's what I began to do. I heard a guy talk about this, and I was like, man, I need to do that. I need to retrain my mind. And he said, every day before he reads the Bible or prays, he writes down three things he's thankful for. And so it could be like really, really big things. Like, man, I'm so thankful that my son was just born, right? Like that's very significant, rare, right? Like it's a big, big thing. It could be as small as, man, thank you that I, I had a good night of sleep and I feel rested, right? Like, like the, the size of the thankfulness doesn't necessarily matter. You just had to write down three things. The only catch is you can never write down the same thing again. Once you wrote it down once, you can never write it down again. And so at first, you, you kind of, like, it's easy. There's a bunch of stuff to be thankful for. But after a while, it actually begins to get hard, especially if your default is to see the negative in things. And, man, it, it, it took me some effort to really retrain my mind to look for the good, to, to look for things to be thankful for. But here's my, not conclusion, I guess, but what I'm learning more and more as I get older it's that I honestly think there's an unlimited number of things that we should be thankful for. I think we miss a lot of it, but I think we should be more thankful than we are. And what I've found is that of all the millions and millions of things that we should be thankful for, like it's all rooted in the grace and kindness of Jesus. Because everything I have, everything I am, everything that I've ever learned, all of it is rooted in the fact that I didn't deserve it, and at some level God allowed it to happen. He gave it to me. Like, I have received a cosmic amount of love and forgiveness, but also just blessing after blessing after blessing. How could I not be thankful, right? Uh, how many of you have heard of a man named John Maxwell? Anybody? He, he's written a lot of books. He, he's a leadership expert. I've actually um, gotten to meet him, talk with him, read a lot of his books. But he said something one time that struck me because um, you might have heard the, the statement before that experience is the best teacher, and he said, experience is not the best teacher. And so when I heard that, I kind of like leaned in. I was like, okay, where's he going with this? But if you think about it, it's true. Experience alone is not the best teacher because you can go from season to season, transition to transition, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you've grown, that you're healthy, that you're any better for what you've been through. Just because you've lived through something doesn't mean that you've really grown or learned anything. And I think, too, if we're just being a little blunt, Maybe some of us in this room are in this kind of circling, holding pattern because we've not learned what we needed to learn to transition to where we need to be in a healthy way, right? Here's what John Maxwell would say. He would say, experience is not the best teacher. Rather, evaluated experience is the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Here is what I believe. If we really were to weigh the amount of grace, love, forgiveness, kindness, blessing that we've received from God that we did not ever deserve, if we really weigh that and we view our life through that lens, man, it softens your heart. And listen, here's something I pray for consistently. I pray for God to not let my heart get hardened to his voice, to his spirit, to his prompting, to who he's called me to be. I beg God to not let my heart get hard because that is devastating. I want my heart to be soft. And what I've learned is that if I can view my life through the lens of how much I've received that I never deserved, man, it softens my heart, makes me more and more and more into the image of Jesus, which means I'm not immune to difficult situations or to transitions in life, but I'm much more prepared to follow God faithfully through whatever season of life happens to me next, which is all I have to say is this. If you can hear my voice, listen, be teachable. 
right? When you go through transitions of life, you're going into new territory. Be flexible. Unexpected things will happen. And be grateful because we have received grace upon grace upon grace that we have never deserved. And that's the way you give thanks in all circumstances. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to take a minute and maybe address somebody in the room who is not a believer. And I know some of you, I don't know all of you. And so every week we just want to give um, an explanation for how you become a believer in case there's somebody in here who the Spirit right now is just drawing to himself. And if you're not a Christian or maybe you have questions or you're wrestling or maybe you don't know, let me just say this. What we believe is that, again, you are sinful and your sin has consequences, but the gospel is such good news that it never leaves you in your sin. It tells you the truth about your sin, but then it leads you to Jesus, and you see his love for you and his forgiveness for you and the fact that he went to the cross because he loves you that much, right? And so this idea of becoming a Christian, man, it's about committing your life to Christ and, and deciding to follow Jesus faithfully, fully, committing your life to him. Um, I, I honestly believe, if you're not a believer in this room, you feel a certain void or an emptiness or a brokenness because that's what sin does. And I also would say that if you're not a believer, you've probably tried to fix what you feel on the inside with something. And I would argue that it probably hasn't worked. And I'm just saying you, you can't fix what Jesus is meant to heal. Like Jesus has got to be the one that heals it. And so if you're not a believer, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you are a believer, this is not for you. But if you Feel the Spirit prompting. I would just love to lead you in this prayer. These words don't save you, but believing this in your heart is what saves you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Like it's about belief on the inside. But if you were to pray to, to believe in God, it would be something like this. Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and I acknowledge that I, I cannot save myself. Lord, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And God, I want to put my faith in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you just look at me? Can we just clap in honor for maybe anybody who did pray that prayer?